Hey there, friends. Welcome back to the third season of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. If you haven't already done it, go ahead and click that subscribe button. We hope that you'll check us out also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok and find out more about content. Of course, we encourage you to also check out the website at rayreynoldsrap.com. We hope you enjoy today's program. For our third season of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast, we've decided to do a couple of things that will help in you strengthening your own personal walk with God. And so uh, one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to be very intentional in the way we present the gospel message. Uh, And we're hoping that through some of these lessons that you will have a desire to grow more spiritually. Uh, And to help us with that, we are going to deal with some tough questions. Uh, In some broadcasts, you'll hear me talking about subjects that maybe even your preacher or uh, Bible class teacher is afraid to, to discuss because of the basically the sensitiveness of that particular lesson. And the second thing that we're doing is we are encouraging people to read their Bible all the way through. And so to help us with that, we are doing surveys of New Testament books. Some of the lessons will be one lesson. Some of them will be uh, two or three or four lessons, depending on the size of the book and the contents. But right now, we want to present to you one of those lessons on a New Testament book. I encourage you to grab your Bible and study along. If you got a notepad, piece of paper, highlighter, that'll probably help as you begin to make notes and think about uh, how you want to read this book from cover to cover. And I hope that it's a blessing to you. So tonight, we want to pick up right where we left off last week. And I had intended on getting through the whole chapter, uh, but we just got caught up in a lot of really good stuff. And so we want to try to finish up the book of Jude tonight and prepare for Revelation next Wednesday night. We'll go through that at least two weeks, uh, may need to go three weeks for Revelation. And I'm going to have an additional notebook. Uh, some of you have downloaded the one on the New Testament survey, and I will drop it on there in the morning. Uh, and so we'll put it on our, web, our webpage and our Facebook page, and you can download a little uh, study guide of Revelation. It's a lot of material, so I hope that you'll be benefited from it. And also, I challenged you last week to read the book of Jude. I actually listened to it today on my phone, and the reading that I had was 4 minutes and 25 seconds. So there's no reason why we couldn't read through a little book like this. Uh, and on a daily basis, just think about how you could start now. Don't wait until the last week of December to think about your New Year's resolution. Make a goal now to come up with a reading plan to take you through the Bible next year. Uh, if you say, well, I, I don't know about going through the, at least make plans to go through the New Testament next year. Make it a priority. And I guarantee you, if you put God on the top of your priority list, you'll see all the other things just don't quite matter at all. So, so make a goal to try to read through uh, the whole New Testament. And if you can, read through the whole Bible next year. It would be great. The book of Jude was written by Jesus' brother, and according to verse 1, uh, we noticed also last week it was written somewhere around the late 60s, so it's written about the same time as some of the epistles in our Bible, uh, somewhere probably just prior to the death of Paul and of Peter. Uh, it's also about contending for the faith, and he, we introduced last week some things. He's talking about false teaching and being the one who challenges what is taught, made sure things that are being taught are accurate. And then it's a general audience. It's not written to one person or to one specific group of people. It was meant to be circulated to all of the people. And especially now, as we are living in a completely different century, these general epistles 
uh, find that we find a lot of strength and comfort in these words. And it's interesting how they could have been written 2,000 years ago, but they have just as much meaning today. In fact, some of the things that uh, the Hebrew writer talks about, uh, I think sometimes when I read through that, I think, man, it's almost like he's writing it just for this generation. But Jude is another one of those great generic letters, and generic means for general uh, consumption, if you will. So last week we identified that if we're going to contend for the faith, we need to contend for faithful living. And then we started to begin focusing on this idea of condemning things that are unfaithful, things that are not right. And in our world, uh, we're living in a generation, and this started prior to the generation today. It's actually started in the last generation, where people began to question what morality really is. Uh, And people began to say, well, what's right for you may be right for you, but it's not right for me. What's wrong for you is fine for you, but it might not be wrong for me. And so we call that rele- relevance. You know, it's like a relative truth. It's, it's not, uh, you can believe one particular set of standards and I can believe something else. And this has kind of, in a way, mushroomed into a broader view of Christendom. So say, for instance, when I was, and this is just to kind of make it more personal, I remember, and I've been raised in the church, I remember preachers getting in the pulpit at one time and talking about how we are to be set apart, different from the world, right? And we're supposed to uh, study and follow the standard of the New Testament. And there are specific things that are required to be a New Testament Christian, to be a part of the New Testament church. Uh, And so we always studied those principles. We talked about equality among our differences and things like that. As time went by, it became more of a, well, as long as we say we are a Christian, we're just like everyone else. All Christians are the same. All churches are the same. Uh, That's all the same. So there was a generation of preaching like that. Now we're in a generation where you will even hear from the pulpit some Christian preachers will say, Anyone who calls on the name of God is saved. I heard a guy on the radio uh, talking about this in a podcast, I think it was, and the mindset he had was, as long as you call on God's name, you can be saved, as long as you say, I believe in God. So therefore, uh, our Islamic friends are saved because they believe in God. Our Hindu friends are saved because they believe in God. I believe in a lot of gods, but they believe in God. Our Buddhist friends... You know, our friends that are practicing Confucianism, uh, Taoism, you know, all these uh, Sikhism, Jainism, uh, any traditional religion, even a cult, as long as you believe in a God, then we're all the same. And that is obviously contrary to what Jude is trying to teach. There was an interview uh, recently, some of you may have seen that uh, certain cities, and not just large cities, small cities, Because of religious freedom, they're building um, temples and they're building kind of like, I guess, statues that represent the devil. And, and, And some of these are small towns that say, because we want to practice freedom of religion, we will allow them to have their Satan club once a month. And, of course, a lot of the families are going, oh, no, this is terrible. You can't do that. And they say, well, that's religious freedom. You know, we should be able to talk about the devil. And they interviewed one of the ladies, and she said the reason why she worships Satan is because he represents uh, all of those that are left out of Christianity. 
And so the people that Christians have screened out, Satan embraces and says, come on in, welcome. Uh, And what's interesting, yeah, what's interesting is when you start thinking about that road, the God can't, I think Billy said this in one of his podcasts this week, I heard, he can't make hell appealing, so he makes the road appealing. The road is appealing, that's what draws people in. And so what Jude is saying, and, and some of these other writers that we've, we've studied through these general epistles, is that there is only one standard, and there is one standard of morality. Uh, and so for, for people to say that it doesn't really matter as long as you believe in a God, you're safe, that goes against what Paul teaches in Acts 17, when he stands among all these idols, and he doesn't say, hey, look, y'all all believe in a God, that's great. No, he says there is only one God, and he's the one you haven't recognized. And it is tough to have these conversations sometimes, but it is important that we stand upon a foundation that is unwavering, immovable. Uh, That's the only way that we can stand strong and that we can begin to rise up when oppression comes and tribulations come and all those things. We need to stand in in a, a spot of faithfulness. Well, if you make yourself vanilla enough, if you'll understand what I mean by vanilla, you're appealing to everybody. And God help us if we turn Christianity into a vanilla religion. Um, As Christians, we're supposed to welcome all people, all individuals, regardless of where they come from. But in Ephesians 4, Paul talks about unity, and he says there is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. And he goes on to say that there is only one God and Father who's above all and through all and in all. And when we, and there will be people, in fact, I, I know people personally that have sent checks to uh, people in Israel to be able to help them rebuild the third temple. And they're trying to rebuild the temple on the grounds there in Jerusalem because they believe that the Messiah, their Messiah, is, is here. The Jews believe that their Messiah has come. Now, not all of them believe this. Uh, and so people will ask me from time to time, some of you have asked me, what do you do about that? And I said, well, I remind you of what Jesus said. And he said, there will be many who come, many false Christs who will come in my name. And John has taught this, and I think Jude is pointing the finger at faithfulness and, and being uh, steadfast so that we might avoid uh, this, this mindset. And, and we have to be constantly on alert because there are times that some things come up and it's so strange and so foreign, you just, oh, well. But like something that we're going to address here in the text today is when people begin to point to other books or other people, and uh, it can be extremely dangerous. So let's keep reading. It says, uh, verse 12, these are spots. Now, he, the, remember previously last time we noticed that uh, he talks about Michael fighting over the body and all these teachings uh, of individuals like Sodom and Gomorrah and the angels that fell. And now he says, these are spots. These are marks. These are places to look at. It's like when you go into your room and, and you have cleaned the top of the TV and the top of the dresser and the top of everything and then you get ready to go to bed, and there's one little spot on the top of the headboard. There's a fuzzball. And you're like, I got everything. How did I miss that one spot? Or like when it comes out of the dishwasher, this is my problem, is I will, you know, dishwashers are supposed to be like power pressure washers, right? I shouldn't have to scrub my dishes before 
it scrubs my dishes. But sometimes it'll come out and there'll be a spot on it, a mark. And so Jude says, this is your mark. These, these individuals who follow this line of thinking are a marking, a spot among you that needs to be cleaned up. He says, these are spots in your love feasts, in your fellowship meals, in your time together. While they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves, their clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up, up to their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Let me pause there at verse 13. So these are, these are identifying markers of, of individuals or of teachings that are foreign to the New Testament, the New Testament church. And he says, these are things that you need to be careful of, that you don't get kind of put into the mud yourself. So uh, again, be alert. And he says, these are, these are old, old concepts. It's not like uh, suddenly when the church was established, people came out and started teaching false things. This has happened since the beginning. And so we have to be alert. Most of you probably watched movies, and if you've watched enough movies like I have, I'm pretty good about picking out the villain early in the movie. Like, I know that's a little odd to introduce this character. There's something fishy about him. But that's not the way it is with the men that are instructed or taught about here in the text. These are people who have silently crept in and made their way into the circle and then begin to kind of blossom, teach things, practice things. And I do believe that we have it within us when he says, speak the truth in love. I think Paul's directing us to lovingly confront. Honestly, if we were given the mantle of judge for just 24 hours, and God said, hey, look, you've done a great job. You hadn't messed up the last week. I'm going to give you the gavel. And as people pass, you can determine which, where they go. We would probably let in people that don't deserve it. And I know that we would probably keep people out that by God's grace and mercy, they should make it in. And that's the reason why we don't have that, we don't have that job. It is not our job to be judge, jury, and executioner. But lovingly, confrontation has to take place. If, if, and if you don't, it hurts the whole. That's the thing he says, right now it's a spot. But before long, that spot grows. I had a a gentleman that went to church with me in, in North Alabama, and he had macular de degeneration. You all familiar with that? And he told me one day we were in class, we were doing the Golden Agers class on Tuesday, and he said, it was really interesting how at one point there was this black dot in the corner of my eye, and it got bigger and bigger and bigger until he couldn't see out of that eye. And so if we don't confront the problem when it's small, it will only grow. And lovingly confronting sin is part of one of the hallmarks of Christianity is we're trying to stay on the straight and narrow. We had that problem at a, a church where I worked where the, we had mold come in and the sheetrock and we, we, at first they would clean it with bleach and it'd go away and then they cut a big hole where it was and then it still came back in the corners. We took out all the sheetrock, that whole piece of sheetrock, and then it started again and we're like, how's this happening? Well, because there was mold in other places around behind that we couldn't see. And so we have to confront sin. We have to. And another reason why we have to do that is because it reminds us personally 
that we have to stay as, and we're going to all sin, we're all going to make mistakes, but try to stay uh, as, as straight as we can, straight and narrow. Try to stay holy and blameless before God as much as we possibly can. Because that's what Jesus, now Jesus, of course, has covered all sin with his blood, but we should try to be like Christ and say, how, how can I, how should I talk to people? How should I minister to people? How should I treat people? How should I look at people, think about people? Uh, and that's, that's what Christianity is all about. And some of that is treating people with love, but confronting the problem. And I do believe that uh, when we come back to the fruit of the Spirit and we come back to putting on the whole armor of God, the best way to do that is not to, when we, can, when we talk to people and we confront them about sin, we have to be careful that we don't tell them exactly what they're doing wrong and why it bothers us. What we have to do is we have to present what the scripture says about it. Uh, and, in other words, it's not that, look, I love you as a person. I think you're a wonderful person. But what you're doing is, is going to keep you on the wrong track. You know, and I know a lot of people that have chosen a lifestyle that I do not agree with. And I love them. And I want them to be saved. But I have to say, when we have an opportunity to talk, I disagree with this. But it doesn't matter whether I disagree with it or not. It's what God's word says. And presenting the scriptures in a loving way is is really probably the only way people are going to respond. Is to lovingly teach the truth. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Instead, we've got to pray, pray for our opportunity and then take it in a very calm, peaceful way. Not a, I'm upset with you because you're doing such and such. But more of, and this is a tough one we talked about in one of the other classes I've taught this week. I can't remember which one it was. Maybe in the kids over at Snook. Is the phrase, you know better than that. And that we hated hearing that. But we do know better. We do know better. Um, especially if we've walked with the Lord long enough. We, we know better than to do those things. And so it's not a, you know, you're, you're going to hell, and I'm telling you you're going to hell. It's more of a, the scriptures teach that, that we're supposed to live this kind of a life, and you're choosing something completely opposite. Can I pray about that with you? Can I help you? You know, obviously you're falling into a pit, and I want to help you get out. You know, I've been down there before. I've, I've gone through some of these things before. Let's work through it together. And it, it really works on people's hearts when you come in that, you know, in that frame of mind, that I love you and I want to help. Not um, harsh and condemning. And it is hard, especially because we're supposed to hate sin, you know. I'll tell you how I would do it. And it would be with tears. If you pray for that person enough, and you love their soul enough, and you know that they're lost, if you go to them in tears, and I'm talking about in sincerity, that you have prayed on your knees long enough and hard enough that you got to talk to them. That's the easiest way. Because that's when they see Christ in you. Compassion for the sinner, but an understanding that the sin leads to being lost. And so, instead of just going to somebody and confronting them, we need to spend a lot of time in prayer. Praying over their soul. Praying over their family. Praying over their, their children if they're raising children. Praying for the place where they work and the school where they go. That all the influences that they're missing out on because they're not choosing to shine their light. And in, in tears and in compassion, we go to them and say, I know you're hurting and I'm hurting for you. You know, and I want to help. I don't want you to take this road. Um, if we did that more frequently... Uh, we would see less people leave the path. 
um, instead of screening people out, we try to keep them while they're here. And if we see them slowly getting off the road, and I used to do that with my kids. Uh, when we would go out in the woods and stuff, I always wanted them to keep them close. It's because I thought maybe I'd be able to spot a snake or something else before they did. I didn't like them getting off the path. I'm the same way with Lily now. I don't like her getting way ahead of me or off to the side. I don't want her getting close to the road. I'm nervous. And so I know she's not a child, but she's like our child. We love her. You should love a person's soul so much that when you go to them, their first thought about you is not that you're coming at them or you're being harsh. It's that you love their soul. And we've got to get in the, we're in the soul-saving business, but we've got to first get in the soul-loving business. We've got to love people and not want people to be lost. And God is not willing that any perish, and that's the way the church needs to be. There's a word that's used where it talks about convincing, and we need to convince one another. In other words, there has to be a presentation of what is right, that's it, convicting naysayers. It's being able to, to convince and to convict people that this is not the right path. Uh, it's just like if you drive down a road and the bridge is out and the sign is falling down and you run back and say, whoa, whoa, whoa the bridge is out. If you really love people, you, you know, you park your car across the front. You know, you'd be shouting at people to stay away from that. And there are a lot of people that are headed down a path of not just physical death, but eternal death. And so we've got to we have to present the gospel and say, you know, God is not one that should perish. And if there's 99 saved and one lost, the Lord goes after the lost one. But he does that through the hands and feet of his disciples. And we're supposed to do as, as best we can to present um, a better way of living. I've had, to, I've had to do it before, change the subject. <clears throat> and if this ever happens, you'll know why. You'll go, I, Ray said one day he'd do that. But if I ever lose control of a class, and there are people arguing and fussing, or somebody's trying to take over, I'll just start singing, amazing grace. It's really hard to shout over amazing grace. So just start singing. <clears throat> and so, uh, but, but there are, and, I, and luckily, prayerfully, thankfully, we haven't had that experience here in a while, but we should try our best to understand and to learn and to grow together. And if it ever comes to that point that someone is, is intentionally trying to disrupt or cause a problem, uh, it has to be dealt with. It's unfair to the rest of us. Have you ever been at a dinner before and there's one person that's being exceptionally odd and hateful or rude and you're just like, I wish they would just get up out of the table, go somewhere else. Well, like it says, stop their mouths. That means you start shoving food in for them. You know, just eat, stop talking. Some people are really good people. They just talk too much. You know, they just need to settle down and not say too many things. But uh, out of love, out of love, we're supposed to convince and convict and rebuke and at times reprove when necessary. Another thing, too, he mentions here in verses 14 and 15, and this kind of gets into some of the complaining about the way to live. <clears throat> it says, Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, also saying, Behold, <clears throat> the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them, among all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Do you see how many times he uses ungodly? And there's that word to convict all who are ungodly, to be able to say, this is not right. Um, there is a uh, large movement today 
which people call a, a, a movement about justice. People want justice. And uh, this is something about talking about spiritual justice, if you will. To be able to say, this is wrong, we must not practice it, we can't do it. Uh, there's a church in uh, Iowa, I have a friend who uh, preaches for a church in Des Moines, and occasionally he's on TV, they have him on TV or on the radio, he's on social media, uh, especially over the abortion uh, issue. And they have people that come up and just destroy their building, do terrible things to it. They leave terrible voicemails on their phone. And I have never, I've yet to hear him say anything that was harsh. It seems like he's always saying things in a very loving way. So when you present what is good, unrighteous, unholy thing, ungodly people will rise up against it. They cannot stand it. Um, and it's because it's, it's against the grain. You shouldn't tell people what they should do. You shouldn't do that. You know, that's not your responsibility. You know, what's right for you is right for you. It might not be right for me. And that mindset has to change uh, in that there is a standard, and that standard is the Word of God. The only thing that will last forever, by the way. Uh, and then he says that, you know, the intention is to bring this judgment, and God has to do that. He said, these are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people with great advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lust. These are sensual persons who cause divisions not having the Spirit. So these are people who, if you are looking long enough and hard enough, you'll see that the Spirit of God does not reside in them. Now, if you'll remember in Galatians chapter 5, Paul says there is the fruit of the Spirit, but before that he identifies the works of the flesh. And these are the things that are in complete opposition to things that are spiritual. And so you might assume kind of as, as, as two teams going at it. And you've got the team of ungodliness and wickedness and the team of righteousness and goodness. And so we're constantly at battle with these spiritual forces of wickedness all around us. And so he's saying, be careful of those that do this. And he tells how they secretly get in is um, they will say things to, you know, kind of, as we've said earlier in Timothy and other places about tickling ears and things like that. But this is where they get to a point where they have an audience. And it's really hard for somebody to convince people of things if they don't have an audience. And it says these are grumblers. These are complainers. Uh, now look, I know we all get upset about things from time to time, and you may even have a right to grumble about it, but sometimes in the church, if we grumble and complain enough, that becomes the loudest voice in the room. And so he's saying these, and we're, well, we can get on board with the other stuff, can't we? Hello, y'all with me? I can get on board with false teachers. Rebuke them. Don't let them teach the truth. Let them teach the truth or nothing at all. You know, don't, don't let them teach all that garbage in here. It, I, I, I'm all for it if somebody is in a terrible sin to go and say, hey, look, we want to snatch you from the fires of hell. But he says, in addition to these things, these people are the ones who grumble and murmur and complain. And so if we as children of God put on the enemy's uniform, how are we be told any different than the good side, if you will? If we constantly use the ammunition of the devil, who are going to people assume we're with? So these things lead to the grumbling and the murmuring and complaining, and this will happen as one person will begin to say things and intentionally try to stir people up, 
And then you'll see that this argument is here and somebody else is on the opposite side. And instead of being able to sit down and prayerfully work this out and, and talk about it, it becomes more of a mudslinging fest. And God is not glorified in that. There's not a moment where God is glorified and Christians fighting each other. And so he says you need to be aware of these problems because if you don't root out the problem early on and clean the spot up, these will be, this will be the direction the church goes in. Murmuring, complaining, and then he says flattering mouth, you know, flattering words. I've had people do that to me before, uh, and I, 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 I know that I, I had a person that was listening online, he knew what I was talking about, so I hesitate to tell it again. But I was at church once where a guy came in, he'd only been there three months, and he was standing in the back foyer shaking hands every Sunday morning. And uh, one of the elders said, well, he's campaigning to be an elder. And I said, what? He said, he's campaigning for the job. I said, well, I figured he was campaigning for something. And I said, he really wants to be an elder. And so I asked him about it. I said, are you back here shaking hands with people and visiting two days a week so that you can be a shepherd of the church? And he goes, I've been a shepherd at two churches, and pretty soon I'll be a shepherd here. And he was three months later. And we had nothing but trouble after he got in there. He wanted so badly to be in that position, he'd do anything to get it. And uh, he became extremely critical of every little thing that was going on. He kept a notebook as I preached. He wrote down things that I had said or did that he didn't agree with. Not that he disagreed doctrinally. He just wished I'd have presented it a little bit better. And we'd have a meeting as soon as services are with. And what is it? Well, you know, I, I think you should have used this scripture here instead of this scripture. Because it actually, it really helps quantify the first point that you... And I'm like, dude, I got, I got other things I need to be doing. Um, let's go pray for the sick or something. But he, he constantly was criticized. A song leader, the announcement person, prayer leader. He's like, look, if we have to do it, we will shut your mic off after 90 seconds. You don't need to pray for a minute and a half. And, you know, on that one, I may have been for it. But anyways, no, I'm just teasing. But the idea was he was constantly critical of every little thing because he wanted to be the top dog. And that's, that happens sometimes in churches. Or somebody comes in and it's all about them and it's about their name and they, they want you to know all about what they've done and all the great things they've accomplished. And when we do that, we take the emphasis off of Christ. It is Christ's church. And there are some places that you might as well name the church after the preacher because everybody knows the church for the preacher and, or one of the elders or something like that. And that's, it's Christ's church. Uh, so we have to honor and glorify God and not allow all these... If you hear grumbling, you hear murmuring, you hear complaining... Don't participate in it. If there's gossip going on, let's go, obviously you're having a hard time. I want to pray with you, and then I'm going to go on about my life. I don't need to sit and give you the time of day. Don't listen to it on the phone. If they start, hang it up. Sorry, I can't hear you anymore. You know, hang it up, because you don't want to hear it. Let people know that that's not what you're going to entertain. You're not going to entertain things that are false. You're not going to listen to things that are false. And start as much as you can to walk the straight and narrow. People will get it. If, if you say every time they start something, I don't want to be a part of this, they'll stop bringing it to you. I promise you they will. Because they know that you're not going to give them an audience. But if you listen over and over, they're going to keep bringing you garbage. So And then you end up being the garbage guy. And that's not what I want to be. i got enough garbage of my own to clean up. You know how, how much I packed that dumpster tonight? Do you have any idea? You know, with all the boys we have in the house, I'm, I'm standing on it, crushing it down, putting that, I got enough garbage. I don't need your garbage. You lay your garbage at the foot of the cross, I'll lay mine at the foot of the cross. And so this is a good message for the church even today to be careful and cautious about everything that is said and done. Amen. That's right. <laughs> and then, then verse 20, but you beloved building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to build up the church on things that are of faith. 
of doctrine. Teaching the, the, the commandments of men is not going to get us anywhere. But teaching the truth, preaching the truth, speaking the truth in love will always lead us down the right path. And we're going to spend a whole year this year talking about faith, building up our faith, being more faithful, being more faithful in our living, faithful in our giving, faithful in our serving, faithful in every possible way. The more we're active, the more we're involved, the more we, are willing, we will stay faithful for the rest of our life. We've got to get engaged, involved. Um, there are times that I've got a light out in the sunroom that for some reason the plug, we walk out there enough that sometimes it jiggles just a little bit and I have to go out there and plug it back in a little bit more because it comes out, it kind of wiggles out. And I think we do that in our faith. If we're not plugged in securely, yeah, we don't have any light. And so that's got to be a priority in 2023. I want to be plugged in. I want to be focused. I want to be faithful. And that's one reason why the world is such a heavy influence on us. Because we're, we're so vanilla, we don't see the difference. We have to set ourselves apart. Um, we focus on different things. You know, I don't watch the same movies that other people do in the world. I just don't. Uh, I don't listen to the same music as some people do. And I'm not saying I'm better than anybody else, but I'm saying that I know my mind, and I know how quickly I, my mind can think about things from this. I, I've had a song in my head for three days because I dreamed it, and I came out that morning, and I told Misty, and I said, I'm not, I'm not going to do it tonight. You're not going to do it. But I had a song in my head, and I sang it to her that morning. We've been singing it for three days. Now, why is that? Why is that? Because sometimes when something gets planted, even though it was one time in my dream, I, don't even, I didn't even know the lyrics of this song. I learned the lyrics in my dream, okay? And I came out, and I sang that song. Because when, once something gets in here, it stays. It resides. So we're supposed to take every thought captive. Is this something that I want? Or something that I don't. And if there's anything that I'm doing that is not building me up, it's not helping to be more spiritual, I need to get rid of it. There are times I've started a book, got halfway in and said it's garbage. I, I actually paid uh, opening day for a book. I'm a huge Star Wars, or used to be, I'll say, huge Star Wars fan, not so much anymore. I love Star Wars, the old ones. But anyways, I was, uh, one of the new movies came out and I wanted to read the book that went along with it. I was about the fourth or fifth chapter, and I was there day one. Like, I went down to Books A Million, and I stood in line to get the book. And I was so excited to get the book. And they introduced a character in the second chapter that I knew was going to be a problem. And when I got to chapter four, I said, I'm done. Couldn't finish the book. I stood in line, got it, brought it home, and I felt like a fool that I had wasted so much time and a pretty good chunk of money for this book that had garbage in it. And it's not going to build up my faith. It's not something that's going to be positive or beneficial to me. And we do that. We invest in things. You know, we say, well, I, 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 I've invested so much in this friend. I don't want to have to walk away. Sometimes we have to say, look, I'm, I'm on a different path than you. Um, and you don't have to be harsh or cruel or mean. Try to be influential to them. But there comes a point where at, at some, some crossroads, I have to make that decision. And I think it should happen at baptism. But it doesn't always do that. But we need to, to take a good, honest look and say, what am I doing, and how is it building up my life? I mean, if I'm spending, I come home on a Thursday afternoon, and I binge watch a show all Friday and half a Saturday, and I get all 20 episodes in, you know, we pretty, feel pretty good about ourselves, right? But what benefit is that to me spiritually? I haven't read my Bible through this year, but I've binge watched 16 episodes of this and 13 episodes of that and 21 episodes of this and four seasons of this. And um, uh, what am I doing for my entertainment? What am I doing? What am I doing with my children? How much time do my kids spend in their bedroom? You know, how much time do they spend on, hang on a second. Are you with me? 
How many times does that kid do that? Put that phone down, right? Oh, hang on one second. At some point, if you're a good parent, you're going to go, let me see that for just a minute. Smash. Yeah. Take it for just a minute. Set it down. You can do it. You can do it. We went to dinner with uh, Halo and Rhonda Fernandez a couple nights ago, and uh, we were at uh, Wolf Bay, and when we sat down at the table, she handed me her phone, and she said, put that down there on the end of the table for me. I said, okay. I took it. It was three spaces away from where she was sitting. She made it clear to the table she was there to talk to us. She wasn't there to take pictures, and we didn't get any pictures till after it was over with. You know, it was about spending time together and having a conversation. And I thought about that when she handed me that phone because I knew I needed to check. I had a text message I was waiting on or two emails waiting on. And I thought, you know, this, she has told us this is the most important place I'll be today. And this is what I want to be with my people. And I, she didn't have to say that. The action said it. And so how much time are our children spending away from good quality fellowship with us? Let's, let's, let's make that a priority as, as quickly as we can. Right, and we, we do, we need to spend more time, we need to talk about it more, not as a way to be harsh, but as a way to recognize what is real. This is real as heaven is, hell is real too. More people believe in, in heaven than believe in hell. There's a very small minority of people in the world that believe hell actually exists. So it makes it easier to live whatever kind of lifestyle we want. Um, and instead, we have to understand God is a God of grace and mercy. Praise God, he is a God who loves us and he cares for us and he he allowed his one and only son to die for us. But along with that grace and mercy, there has to be justice and there has to be a, uh, a conviction of wrong and people who are in the wrong. And that's just the reason why we became New Testament Christians. We didn't want to go to hell. And so we had to figure out a way to explain to people there is two destinations and you have a right. I'm choosing mine and I want to help you choose yours. Um, and if, you know, uh, I'll give you a good example today. Uh, Charles Dickens, one of the greatest writers of the last century, wrote A Christmas Carol. And I know we've probably all seen or read the story of Ebenezer Scrooge. And that last ghost that visits him, even when you walk, um, which walk watch a Mickey's Christmas Carol, you know, oh boy, you know, here we go. I, I am so scared of that coffin Right, Rick? I'm scared of that coffin. I don't want to go down there. You know, Ebenezer, and here he goes, and I'm, no! Yeah, I mean, we know, we know the songs. The Mickey Mouse version was my favorite of all of them. There was a Muppets Christmas Carol that was pretty good, too. But, but the, the, that scene of him falling in, Scrooge falling into that pit, and Pete, the cat's cigarette, you know, the ashes are starting the flames, I remember it as a child being scared to death. And, and then you see Ebenezer Scrooge, Scrooge McDuck's kicking the sheets and he's thinks he's and he's like, oh, I'm gonna change. I swear I'm gonna change. We need to have those epiphanies without a dream. You know, we need to have those moments where we go, I don't wanna be lost. I don't wanna go, I don't wanna spend an eternity here. And the hardest, really one of the saddest stories in the Bible is in Luke 16. Whenever the rich man realizes his fate and he says, Abraham, please send, please send Lazarus back. He, I'm just, if anything, just go tell my brothers, tell my family. And Abraham basically says to him, it's not going to happen. He says, they have Moses and the prophets. And he says, no, but if somebody, if somebody comes back from the dead, they'll believe. 
And they simply would not allow Lazarus to come back. And there is a reason why that story is told the way it is. It's because you and I are Lazarus. We've risen from the dead in Christ. And we are supposed to tell people the other place is bad, right? We're supposed to talk about hell. Lazarus can't return, but we've been risen in Christ and we have an opportunity now to share the message of hope that that is a destination for all of humanity because of sin, but it's not where you, can, not where you have to go. You can make the right choice. Follow Jesus. Um, was that the first bell or the second bell? First bell. Okay, we got five minutes. 21. Uh, let's go back to verse 20. But beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, plucking them like Ebenezer Scrooge, plucking them up out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. And that's another thing to just real quickly note is that we are supposed to hate sin. I mean, we ought to hate sin. And if the garment has been defiled, you know, I've had those moments where I come home and I have, had, I call them my basketball shirts, I dribble all over them. So I come home and I've got the shirt and it's got a mess on it and I got to go put the, what do we call, what is it? Oxy, clean, yeah, something, whatever she gives me. Shout. And you spray that thing down and you go get it clean. There is, but you don't throw the whole garment out, right? But he says, even if just the part of the garment is defiled, it needs to be cleaned. It needs to be changed. And the reason why is because if we don't, we will stay in sin. Uh, we have to despise sin. I don't want to be defiled by sin. I, in fact, I'm not going to get in the mud because I'm not even going to go near the mud. Uh, Paul talks about fleeing from sin. And the last two verses, it says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Father, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. And arguably, one of the best, if not the best ending of any book in the New Testament. A, a, a doxology of hope and of praise to God and a challenge to us to recognize where we should want to go and who we should honor with our life, that he will present us faultless. Uh, he will present us without blame. And so we give all honor and glory to the Lord. And we are conquering. The last few verses are about conquering. We're overcomers. Faith is the victory. And that's what we need to look to is uh, the positive side of life. And that will influence people, too, that are taking the wrong road. There's a better way, a much better way. All right, uh, I did not get into it tonight, but if you'll read the blog I did uh, earlier today, it talks about two of the books mentioned here, The Assumption of Moses and Enoch, and there's a reason why they're not in our New Testament or in our Old Testament, and I put a blog on there about that. We'll, we'll cover that another time, but there's a, a, a great point to be made about there's a reason why these books are in here and others aren't. Thank you for tuning in to the Ray Reynolds Wrap Podcast, and specifically this study of New Testament books. If you have a specific Bible question that relates to the material we just covered, please feel free to email me that at rayreynoldswrap at gmail.com. 
www.thepeopleshow.com. We want to encourage you to tune into every broadcast, follow us on social media, and get regular updates on the content. Follow, subscribe, share, and set your notifications so you don't miss any broadcasts or blogs that are posted. Check out the website for free books and Bible study materials at rayreynoldsrab.com. Hope you have a wonderful day, and may the Lord bless you as you seek to maintain an authentic life in Christ Jesus. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214.